0: All right, if you would please open up to Acts chapter (laughs) 1. Thanks for that enthusiasm. I like that. (laughs) I'm excited about this study. I have never preached, I've preached sermons from Acts, I have never preached through the book of Acts. And so I am excited for how this will take place and what the Lord has in store for us. Uh, before we get into reading, and we'll take it section by section Sam, I'm sorry I didn't tell you that because it was during worship that I decided. Um, <laughs> we're going to take sec- there's three different sections that will follow our outline, and we will read through that and just uh, explore together what the Lord has. But first, why this study at this time? Uh, a study of the book of Acts is a fun one at any time. It's just great and glorious. Uh, but at this time in the life of our, our church family. It comes after, remember, our study of Nehemiah. Uh, really, let's go back a little more to Revelation. We went through Revelation where we looked at Jesus wins, he's coming back, but today we're living on mission for him. Uh, our study of Nehemiah was about healthy spirituality, being God's people in God's place, experiencing God's presence. We want to have him, and this is a, a continual uh, desire for us as God's people. We want to experience his presence, but in a way that heals the deepest parts of who we are. And God in his wisdom, uh, in his compassion and care for us as the great healer and physician, he will bring situations to our lives that expose uh, a wound that maybe we're, we're ignoring, thinking that it's done with, but it hasn't, it hasn't had the proper healing that God wants for it. Uh, and that's what Nehemiah was a study in, and we followed that up with the series Going On to Maturity, where we looked at the virtues of the faith. What's it look like to be God's people, but particularly recognizing that He's already given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. It's in us. We need to mature to become more of what Christ is in us. So that it should be the direct result of who we are in Christ. And this study is the next step to walk in who we are in Christ. God has given us the identity in Christ and Jesus promised the Spirit to come because he's still on mission. Jesus is still continuing his ministry. We are filled with the Spirit for the mission of spreading the message of God's kingdom. So Acts is about showing how the mission of Jesus continues through the message of resurrection life by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see that I think I put that in your, your outline Acts is about showing how the mission of Jesus continues through the message of resurrection life by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, our mission is to be witnesses of His life, salvation, forgiveness, love, grace, mercy, joy—all the virtues that we described. Our lives are to be the authentic- the our lives are to uh, authenticate the message of Jesus because our salvation is miraculous. You know that every miracle that Jesus performed on his earth when he was uh, doing his physical earthly ministry was to authenticate his message. It wasn't simply to heal people or cast out demons. He was authenticating. He was proving himself. He was proving he is the Son of Man who can forgive sins. He is the Son of Man who will return. He is the Son of Man who lays down his life as a ransom to purchase God's people and the Acts, is, it's a history book, but in, like my Bible says, the Acts of the Apostles, and a bunch of theologians take a particular issue with that because it's really the Acts of Jesus through the Apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can put all those qualifiers in there. But ultimately, Acts is about the church, and we are the church. So this book is for us. As the people of God, this book is for us in order for us to find out, God, what do you, what do you want us to do and be and experience as the church? There might be some trepidation going into Acts because of all the different uh, nuances and maybe disagreements that you have grown up with or just don't know about. What we want to discover, what does the Lord have for us? We want to just say, Lord, we want to be available to you. We want to hear, and experience the Spirit. So if we look at the first uh, five verses, I think what we see first is that this is a new day for uh, the disciples, for the apostles, the disciples. This is not just the the 11 now we'll read. It's because Judas has uh, hanged himself after he turned in Jesus before his crucifixion. But now that we have 120 that are gathering in an upper room and they're praying and then we have more possibly that that are there, and this is an experience, but it's a new day for the people of God. Verse 1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In this first one, this, this O Theophilus, where the book is designed to, to accommodate. It's the same introduction as the gospel account of Luke. So we know that Luke has written this one also because later on, when he's writing, he says, I, when he's with Paul. We, he uses first person to describe his experience. So the introduction of the book links it to the gospel account by Luke. Luke was a physician, he was a doctor. And he was a companion of Paul uh, off and on during his time of ministry uh, and Paul's imprisonment. He was with Paul in Rome during Paul's last days. Perhaps he was there because he could be a personal physician to the Apostle Paul. And he writes to Theophilus. Uh, This could be a particular person, could be representative of everybody who loves God. Theophilus is a combination of two words that means lover of God, someone who loves God. Theos and Phileo. But you have, it actually also is a very common name in the first century. So we have, uh, is this one person? Is it many? It really doesn't matter, but it probably was a real person. And it could have been a wealthy person that funded, Theophilus was a wealthy person of nobility who funded Luke's research and making printing of the book. In either case, this, this book is an apologetic of the faith to Theophilus. Now, apologetic means he's not apologizing for the faith. And it's weird. I had to look this up because I said, how did a... Apologet, apologetic means defense of the faith. So check this out. Over the, over the centuries, we're really going back to the 1800s, uh, so just a couple centuries ago, apology went from meaning defending yourself to being sorry for something. So when you gave an apology, you really weren't saying, I'm sorry. You were defending your actions. So now you can't say, I apologize, because somebody from a couple hundred years ago would think, well, you're defending yourself. You were wrong. So it's weird how that language changes that way. But it still keeps there that we have apologetic as a defense of the faith. And Luke is making a defense of the faith. He's saying this is a real thing. It's not a terrorizing thing. It's a transforming thing. But he's also letting he's letting Theophilus know through all the defenses. He he gives Stephen before uh, the Sanhedrin. He quotes Stephen. He gives the lengthy. Interaction of Stephen and then Paul before Festus and Felix and then anticipating going before the emperor himself to give a defense of the faith. But he's also proving that they were innocent of their charges. So interestingly, how he's, he's building this together, but this is for us to recognize the faith that we cherish, the faith that we own, it's true. And it's it's reasonable. It's also defendable. A lot of times we might think, I just don't have the answers. Maybe I I don't know the whole Bible, so I can't, can't answer people's questions. That's true. Sometimes I struggle with answering people's questions because their questions come out of their experience, and I might not share the experience that they're having, and they just don't know why God would do something that way. And I have to say, I don't know either. I don't know. But what God invites us into is a relationship that is a journey to see Jesus. And so we walk with him, and we journey with him. But we have this glorious truth. He presented himself, verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering. He is Alive, and he hung around with them for 40 days, proving to them. Remember, he comes to Thomas. Thomas says, I don't believe it until I can put my fingers in his hands. Tom, Jesus, very patient with his people. Tommy here, come on. It's me. It's me. He is teaching them again. He's ministering, and these many proofs are, are more authenticating his ministry and his message with his disciples. And he teaches them. Jesus continues to teach. And he teaches now through the presence of the Holy Spirit, whom he promised. Jesus continued teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is not the physical kingdom yet. It's coming. When Jesus returns and he establishes his physical kingdom on the earth and the new earth, but we have the kingdom of God now represented supernaturally. It's a supernatural kingdom headquartered in heaven called Zion, New Jerusalem, which expands its territory because every kingdom is looking to expand its territory, meaning its rule and reign. So the kingdom of God is looking to advance its rule and reign, but not over land right now, it's in the hearts of men and women and children who trust Jesus with everything. This rule and reign is advancing in the hearts of men and women through repentance and faith. That is a supernatural kingdom because there's a resurrected Savior who now reigns over all. You know what that guarantees us? He wins. We participate with him because he wants that, but we have promises that his resurrection life shows up in detailed ways in our lives. So Jesus tells them, they're ready. They're hearing about the kingdom of God. They're getting ready to say, is it now? Now's the time. You're going to do the Israel thing, right? Finally get some swords out? Jesus has to pause them, but he says this. Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, in verse 4. This phrase is pregnant with anticipation. The promise was made thousands of years earlier and repeated by the prophets in the Old Testament. All of heaven is peering into, all of heaven is looking for what this fulfillment would look like. So Jesus is letting them know. All that's been promised in the Old Testament, promised first to Abraham with his many descendants, but then talked about by the prophets, like, all right, there's going to be a sacrifice that will deal with every, th- every sin that we could ever think of, and then then God's presence will be in us. Not something to visit, but something to experience. All of heaven. So they're, they're wondering what this looks like, too. This was the promise of the Spirit which Jesus had taught to his disciples right before he went to the cross in John 14, 15, and 16. He told them of the comforter, the helpful, the helper who would continue the work that Jesus was doing among them, but now it would happen through them. Look at John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do. Will he do? Because I am going to the Father. Do you recognize that? Jesus did some amazing stuff, right? And he wants his disciples to do more. It's it's expected. Oh, greater works than these will he do. How can we do any greater work, Jesus? Because you'll have the Spirit. That's why you'll be able to do it. And he calls it a baptism with the Holy Spirit in verse 5. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See John's baptism. John the Baptist. His baptism was one of commitment, repenting of sins, and a cleansing, a, a holy approach to say, "I want to remove the thing, the entanglements of my life, so my heart can be fully devoted to the Lord." John's was a baptism of repentance for commitment, and we see we'll see later on in Acts chapter nineteen when uh, Paul goes to Ephesus and he asks them the question. Have you been baptized with the Spirit? And they say, what's that? We don't know that. We just know the baptism of John. There was a baptism of commitment, but, but now the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism of an experience for empowerment. Remember when Jesus was baptized by John? He rises out of the water. The heavens are torn open. Violent language. The Father tears open the heavens... Booming voice down, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And what lands on Jesus? The spirit in the form of a dove. And that represented, we have, the, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all in this exchange. And it, it represented an empowerment. Jesus didn't need power at that moment. He was God. He had all that God is. He didn't, he didn't not have the spirit. But it was a demonstration that now his ministry would be marked by spirit life, supernatural experiences. And there was an empowerment. There was This was the ordination, perhaps. This was the inauguration of Jesus' ministry as the spirit descended on him as a dove. Now, interestingly, the spirit descended as a dove because that was the cheapest sacrifice that was offered in the temple. If you couldn't afford any, it was expected that. If you couldn't afford any sacrifice in the Old Testament when you got to the temple, You at least could ask people for a few pennies to buy a dove. And that's what Jesus is coming, saying. I'm available. I'm available for everybody. So this, this baptism, this waiting for the promise, this is a new day for the disciples in their anticipation of what's getting ready to happen. And we see what they do with this anticipation in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What a sight. Here we have a new day that's described. Now this is a new mandate a new strategy, a new role that's getting ready to come. And so here, the disciples, they're, they're doing their best at trying to put together the pieces that Jesus is telling them. Remember, uh, it's the spirit that indwells in us that gives us the wisdom of God so we understand. It gives us the illumination so we understand what Jesus says. They don't have that yet, so they're still putting pieces together selfishly. They're still thinking very myopically in terms of nationality. you just could just finally free Israel from Roman occupation. Is that what you're going to do now? It's finally over? See, they're still looking for the kingdom of God in physical form. They asked if the time was right now for Jesus' political power to be realized, his earthly authority to be realized. Jesus has been talking to them about his authority and the authority that they will have when he returns. He's returned. So if we were there, we'd be making the same connections they did. They connected the baptism in the Spirit to an earthly authority that God would give them to rule the nation of Israel in that moment. Their thoughts on the kingdom of God were still too small. They were puny compared to what Jesus was describing and had in store. Jesus, in his patience and his love, he offers a connection to their thinking by pointing to the only authority that matters. It's, it's, when he says by his own authority, he's telling them you're looking for an earthly authority. The Spirit doesn't give that type of authority that you're looking for. He gives a spiritual authority to us, but he is saying it, you're looking at the wrong thing. Look at God. He wanted them, Jesus wanted them to be focused on what God had in store, not at what their guesses of what God had in store. But can we take a moment to apply that? How many, how many times in our prayers we ask God for things? And we feel like he's not listening, or he keeps on telling us no, and we think, No, this is gonna be good, God. If you just answer this prayer this way, I'm, I promise you, God, things will go better for me. They'll go better for the people in my life. God, they'll really go better for you because we'll all love you more. That's how we say, Is it now that your kingdom's gonna be restored? So we can get rid of the things that are uncomfortable in our lives? God, Jesus, in his patience, is still coming to us saying, don't try to guess at what God's doing. Trust him and wait. That's the hardest thing to do as believers, isn't it? Waiting. It's hard to do as Americans. We don't wait. We do all the time. See, the the disciples weren't to get caught up in times and seasons because that would only distract from the mission of their witness. Jesus had already told his disciples not to be preoccupied with the signs of his return. We have that in Mark chapter 14, 13 and 14. But we are easily distracted by things. Paul told the Galatian Christians that they were paying too much attention to seasons and times and dates. And the Galatians were, were missing because they were so preoccupied. with They were missing the truth, of the glory of Christ, the primacy of truth. See, God reigns over times and seasons, and we are not to get distracted by them. And so there's a difficulty when people show up with too many charts and convictions about when things are happening and why they're happening. We just have to be hesitant, like... Anybody who's coming out saying they know absolutely for sure when Jesus is coming back or they know absolutely for sure about what the moons mean, pause. We just don't know because we don't want that to be... Jesus even says, look, you know the seasons and you'll know when the seasons change And I'm coming back. But that doesn't mean we stop everything and just start staring up like the disciples. All right, I'm waiting. Because they come and say, the angels come and say, hey, remember what he said? There's something you need to do right now. There's a spiritual power that you're getting ready to get that will now empower you for the witness that God wants you to do. The original word for power in verse 8. I love verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's the same word that we get the word dynamite from. Same root, dunamis, dynamite. This, so think about it like dynamite. This is an explosion of God's presence in us that expands outward into everything that we are, our thinking, our speech, our actions. It, it's an explosion of life that occurs on the inside that out, it works itself out to, to touch where we are in life. And God's, Jesus is saying, this explosion of God's presence is the Holy Spirit in you that will now give power and sustenance and wisdom and guidance and grace for the mission of being a witness for Jesus. And that Spirit coming upon the disciples... Was, was to affect ever-expanding circles of influence in their lives. And so when you put that together, the Holy Spirit explodes in the hearts of the church, of the, the, God's church, His bride, and then it expands outward. And that's what he says in the second half of verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And really, if you look at that, that's an outline for this book. It's an outline for Acts. It begins in Jerusalem, and then you have Judea, then you, you have Samaria, and then all of a sudden you have churches that are talked about in Antioch and Thessalonica and Ephesus. Those are, it's, it's going out from Jerusalem. And this word witnesses, which we take the title for this series... Jesus' mission is carried throughout the world by his redeemed, in whom he lives by the Spirit. Now, we are not eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection like these first disciples, like these first century disciples and apostles. But we are witnesses to Jesus' what? His transforming love, his forgiveness, his reconciliation, his mercy, his grace, his love, his joy. We are witnesses to that because that is what we experience by the presence of the Spirit in us. And this is how, these are how power shows up in our lives. We are witnesses to Jesus' resurrection power. We are witnesses to that. And he says, go be my witnesses, but don't do it in your own strength. Wait for the Spirit. He needs to be there. He needs to do do the empowering then in a miraculous event, Jesus is taken up to heaven with clouds, on clouds. I don't know if he was, was wrapped up in the clouds or sitting on the cloud. Either way, it was amazing because the disciples kept on staring up. We did on the same thing. Now, in the Old Testament, clouds were used as symbols of God's presence. So God came for his son. The father came for his son and brought him up. And I think what, what the disciples didn't see, I wonder if it was like uh, you know, the, the pictures of watching a space shuttle go up into space and you're just kind of amazed at the, the trail of smoke that's there. Maybe, maybe that happened. But when, when, when a rocket or a spaceship goes out of sight, it goes into the earth's atmosphere's it's orbit. It's, it's beyond what we can see. Now in this moment, when Jesus is taken up, what was happening beyond what the disciples could see was foreshadowed in Daniel chapter 7. I believe Daniel saw into the future this moment. I saw in the night visions, Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. What Can you imagine the pageantry that this involved? We don't have... We have Clouds that are the carriage of the king to the ancient of days. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's the supernatural kingdom that Jesus came to purchase and Daniel saw it hundreds of years before it happened. We are to be his witnesses. Now, look at that. The two men coming. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Because that was amazing. That's why we're standing looking into heaven. That was really cool. But the two, the two represents, they're a witness of, now, hey, we just got some orders from Jesus. We're going to remind you of what he told you. Go obey him there's still something to be done. His his, uh, ascension into heaven doesn't nullify our obedience. It doesn't just cause us to wait. The Thessalonians, the the two books to Thessalonica, the church there, uh, they had a bad habit of just wanting to sit around and waiting for Jesus to return. And the Apostle Paul was saying, no, 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 work and serve. Those, Those are your responsibilities still, as the people of God. So yes, Jesus is returning, and we live as, as though it is imminent. It could be now. Yes, absolutely, we're looking for that. And Jesus gave the parable about uh, the thief in the night. So will the, son of, the coming of the Son of Man. So we need to be diligent with our work, diligent with our service, but also diligent with our witness. And this, they were reminding them of their task at hand. But with a promise, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then, so we have a new day with a new mandate. And now there's a new normal that's described in this last section of the chapter. Verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath-day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in, his, in the ministry. Now, this man acquired a field and the, with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Alkaldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, "May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office." So, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time of the Lord Jesus went. to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This, the rest of this chapter can seem like uh, busy work on the apostles' part, while they waited for whatever the promise of the Spirit would be like. But I think Luke is taking a moment to show a new pattern in their lives, a new normal that would be on display and is on display for the rest of the book of Acts. The first is this, prayer. There is a new normal to their prayer lives. There is a new normal to corporate prayer. There's a new expectation. There's a new anticipation that would not be far off. And they now prayed with an expectation of God's response. And this type of prayer is throughout the book of Acts. In chapter 4, they pray, and the place where they're praying is shaken and they're filled with the spirit and they go out and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. That's a cool prayer meeting. So they they're, they're establishing prayer together. And as they're praying, there's also a leadership that is established. And there is a submission to this leadership. Remember Jesus is the only one leading them. They start fighting over who's supposed to be next to Jesus in the leading. But I I believe this was now a humble approach from Peter to offer leadership. And there's a submission when he suggests, hey, we need to replace Judas. All right, that sounds right. The leadership was grounded in the Scriptures, and we see that throughout the book of Acts. Uh, Peter knew his Bible. We see in chapter 2, he's quoting the Prophets. Peter knew his Bible. He quotes from Psalm 69 and then Psalm 109. So he he knows the different places and he understands that the Holy Spirit spoke through the the writers of those psalms. So we have have leadership, submission to leadership, leadership that's grounded in the Scriptures, and then devotion to the Scriptures. And that, that is to be a hallmark of all church leadership everywhere in the Christian community. So there's prayer, there's leadership, there's guidance. We need to seek guidance. While they used lots in this, they cast lots to figure out the Lord's direction. They needed the Lord's direction to make a decision. That's what this comes down to. And they're establishing a pattern of seeking God's guidance for what the next step should be. This is seen throughout the Book of Acts. Remember, in Antioch, chapter thirteen, in Antioch, they're praying in a matter of prayer. The Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me uh, Barnabas and Saul, who becomes Paul." I have a, I have a mission for them to be on that came in the midst of prayer. But they're asking God, "We're open. What do we do next?" In in chapter fifteen, with the council that's reported to them, all right, do we need? What do we do about the law? How, how, how do we expect these new believers? Are they supposed to now be circumcised and? being ingratiated into Judaism. They need the Lord's guidance, but they're led by His Spirit. And they appeal to this. They said in uh, verse 24, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. That word there, it's saying to Jesus, You're the the heart-knower. Show. Just give us direction. Guide us. So it's prayer, leadership, guidance, and also a dependence upon God's sovereignty. They demonstrated a continued trust in God's sovereignty once the lots were cast. Now, this is the last time in Scripture that any lot had to be cast because when the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, he is that guidance. But yet, they're still they're seeking that guidance but also trusting, God, you're the one. You're the one that brings us about Uh, There's a proverb, I forget where it is. Uh, uh, The lot is cast in the lap, but the decision is the Lord's. They knew that too. They knew that. So this this new day that Jesus gives a new mandate provides a new normal for the people of God. Now what what my challenge for us is today, we believe the Lord would cause to stir in us, is that our new normal is, a lot of times just looks for the next thing to happen. And we go, maybe we go from crisis to crisis in our lives. Maybe we just go uh, from routine to routine. And what's the next thing I need to do? Without recognizing, God, you, you are causing me to wait to listen to you. So I'd like to take a moment just to wait, unhurried, Not go to lunch yet. Not do the next thing yet. But just to wait. And learn to wait. Next week is Pentecost Sunday. May we take this week and wait. And then say this. This is our prayer this week. And Darren and Tabitha, you come back up. I'm just going to finish with another song to help us linger, to help us be unhurried. But can we do this, church? This is our commission for the week. Wait on the Lord with the expectation that He's going to do miraculous things in your life. Amen? Amen. Because you know what I think happens, and it happens to me too often. When I get used to the routine, when I get used to normal, which is supposed to be a new normal, my expectation of my prayers gets really low. And, and I don't want to be disappointed with my prayers. And so I take the expectation bar and I lower it for God and say, God, just do what you're going to do. We trust you. When God is telling us this, cast that on me. See what lot I have for you. Cast that on me. And see what I have, and I, I, oh, my prayer for us is that we would grow this week with an expectation and an, an anticipation of the Spirit's presence and work in our lives. That it really does make everything new, because when when the Spirit shows up, it redefines everything. When, when we experience who He is, and we have Him by, by our salvation, I believe we have Him in our salvation, I believe we are baptized in the Spirit in that moment. But remember, Ephesians says, continue to be filled. Let's continue to be filled. Without the posture of protecting our hearts because we don't want to be disappointed again. Oh, can we, can we throw that on the Lord? And say, God, I, I want you to do wondrous things. And I'm anticipating it. So the prayer I've prayed for the 752nd time. Oh, I'm going to pray very a new normal for 753. Because God needs you to show up. And I'm looking for you. And I'm anticipating it. And I'm expecting it. Because listen, he's inclined towards you. He wants to answer but he's more, he's more interested in our understanding and experiencing his love than he has just given us something. And so we say, Lord, I want to experience your love. I want to experience the enveloping presence of the Spirit to where it, it increases and it expands outward from my life. So, Lord... Would you please give us an anticipation that will blow our minds? May we be looking, waiting for the promise to show up. We have so many promises, so many promises from the scriptures that your spirit guarantees and enacts. May we see those promises. Jesus, may we see the promise that If we ask anything in your name, it will be done. May we see that promise this week in very finite ways that convince us of your presence and your love.
1: There's nothing worth more Thou will ever come close No thing can compare You are our living hope Your presence, Lord Oh, I've tasted and seen I've tasted and seen of well, the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone no oh, your presence Lord and we sing hope and you are welcome here Come flood this place and fill the Tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone.
0: Trying to find a scripture that I've read a lot. I can't exactly find. Remember when Jesus saying a father doesn't give? The child asks for something, the father doesn't give a snake or something like that. Remember, you know what I'm talking about? Alright, the one the verse I'm thinking about is. But he gives the spirit to those who ask. So there's an expectation there, right? There's an expectation that Jesus fills us with. And so that's the commission today. Wait with an anticipation and an expectation of what God will do and how he'll show up. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Lord, we ask that you would bring it and give us more reason to glorify you and experience your power. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. 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 God bless us.